You're listening to the Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everyone. Adam Tarno here, and thanks for tuning in to the Better Man Podcast. Our guest today is Clay Scroggins. Clay and his wife, Jenny, and their five kids live in the Atlanta area. Clay is the lead pastor at Buckhead Church, and he's also the author of two books, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge and How to Lead in a World of Distraction. Now, here's why I asked Clay to join us on the podcast today. The world is noisy. There's so many distractions, and I think as men, if we don't learn how to tune out these distractions, sooner or later, we're going to end up with a life that none of us want. So we're surrounded by these distractions every day, and they're so plentiful that we don't even realize that we're being distracted by so many of these distractions. It's that whole frog in a kettle, boiling water type thing. We're just surrounded by it, and we don't even know that it's happening. And so we need to hear Clay's perspective on all this, and I know it's going to help So take a listen to this conversation, and then I'll be back with some closing comments. Clay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for jumping on with us today. Oh, Adam, the pleasure is all mine. (laughs) I bet. I bet. So, okay, so we're going to talk about your book that just came out, uh, 2019, right? Came out, How to Lead in a World of Distraction. So here's the deal. I just finished it up, and I thought your book was going to be filled with tips and tricks on how to limit distractions so that I can grow as a producer, right? Like I can get more done on my to-do list. There were a couple things in this book about that, but it really wasn't primarily about that, how to help people be better producers. This was about limiting distractions so that you can grow as a person. So why don't you talk about this? What inspired you to take this angle? So why? Uh, Because I started realizing that we are all, that general society is trending toward a less healthy version of themselves. And one of the biggest challenges are the amount of distractions that are around us. The, the trick is, though, we are not victim to the distraction. We actually choose the distraction. So we are addicted to distractions. And the danger is not necessarily the distraction. The danger is what's on the other side, what we miss yeah. when we don't pay attention to our own soul, our our own personal care. Uh, and that's what motivated me to write on this topic. I want to do this. I want to read a quote from the end of the book, because I love what you said here at the end. This is from page 200, Clay, just to let you know where it is so you can write this down if you want to go back and reread what you said. But here, here's what you said. You said, the reason I felt compelled to put all these ideas on paper is because of how much is at stake for you and me. If you never turn down the noise of distractions around you, you will miss what's most important in your own growth as a leader. So from your perspective, what what is at stake if we don't learn to tune out these distractions? Yeah, there's a lot at stake. Um, I think, number one, we become emotionally incompetent. We slowly just lose the ability to experience the highs of life and the lows of life. Yeah. So we walk around, um, we, we, we lose that exhilarating ability to feel great things, and then we lose the ability to empathize deeply with other people. Um, as leaders, we lose the ability to care for the people around us. Uh, leadership, you know, especially during this past year, I think leadership has been challenged. It has been more of a challenge to lead in the last year than it has been a long time because not only do we have to set the vision and set the direction and, you know, build a strategic plan around that, but we have to also help carry the emotion of the people that we're working with. And if you, 
aren't able to deal with your own emotion, if you haven't dealt with your own emotion, it's really difficult to deal with other people's emotions. So there's definitely a, um, uh, ability that you lose or an opportunity you lose to be able to care for others really well as, as a leader. And then finally, I would say third, you, there's this really important spiritual component to this that I think you ultimately lose the ability. You miss the opportunity to hear from God that you get so busy, so caught up in your distractions, so, so distracted that you miss that really hard to explain synergy that comes in a deep, intimate relationship with God. I like to think of it as, uh, it's cleaning off the antennas or it's, you know, the Nintendo cartridge. It's <laughs> you yes. know, blow, blow, blowing out the Nintendo cartridge. I think that's what you miss. Is you miss that uh, clear picture, that uh, intimate feeling that is possible with a heavenly father that wants to commune with us on a daily basis. And just what I've learned about God is that he doesn't, he very rarely shouts above our noise. He usually waits until we're willing to turn down uh, before we really get to experience the richness and the depth of who he is and what he has for us. Yeah, that's really good. So from your perspective, what do you think are some of the most common distractions that men out there face? Well, if yeah, if we were to just make a list, you know, if we were to poll, poll the listeners of Better Man, <laughs> we would find, you know, some of the more common ones are the phone, uh, work, um, hobby, whatever the hobby is, golf, hunting, sports. Um, you know, there's even some positive ones like learning, you know, uh, personal growth can be a distraction. You know, I'm constantly listening to podcasts, constantly reading books. I'm always, I'm always uh, reading about or listening to how I should grow, but I'm really missing that deep aspect of growth, which comes from the soul. Uh, those would be some of the more common ones. You know, there's the real negative ones like pornography and substance abuse but I think there's some, there's a chapter in there where I write about these three. The villains, right? Villains that leaders are prone to, uh, progress, success, and certainty. Um, those are, those are the ones that I think are, you know, maybe a couple layers down that men are addicted to success or at least the appearance of success. And that can really easily become a distraction where I don't really have to pay attention to what's going on inside of me, as long as I can just portray this picture of success. Uh, the, the certainty aspect is very common to people in ministry. Um, the people that we serve, we think that they want us to have certainty, that they want us to have answers. Um, you know, I've, we, we, you've, everybody's been around a medical doctor, particularly if you have one in your family, um, <laughs> our family does. And medical doctors, you know, it's, it's a challenge when every day, all day, everybody wants to know your opinion and your advice about what they should do. You, and so you, be, you begin to use certainty as this distraction from, that keeps us from paying attention to those areas of our life that we really don't know about, that we really should learn more about. Um, and then progress is a challenging one for any leader because we all love progress. Uh, but sometimes we all know this. Sometimes you have to go backwards before you can go forward. I think about your own career. I, you know, you were making progress in your career and you did some internal work and realized, oh, we need to take about three steps back yeah. before we move forward. And everyone around, or at least 
I think my perspective was the people that were closest to you were cheering you on and going, yeah, that's great. But then that next circle of consent was like, what in the world is Adam doing? (laughs) This does not make sense. That doesn't make sense at all. So I think that's, um, yeah, those are some of the more, maybe a couple layers beneath that in faith. So when you go through this list, here's what's really interesting. So you said some good things or some uh, morally neutral things like like an iPhone, you know, or uh, work or a hobby. And then you said some things that we think are obviously sins with pornography, drugs, sub- substance abuse, things like that. So I think of Hebrews 12.1, right? Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. That verse has been so helpful for me in my life, and I remember that kind of aha moment of seeing that the author of Hebrews there is talking about two things, you know, really, is that he's talking about the sins that entangle us, which we all would agree. Okay, those are things that trip me up in my following after Jesus. But then there's almost this other thing, this everything else that hinders, you know, which is kind of really interesting because it's stuff that maybe is not bad, like a hobby, or maybe not bad, like learning and personal growth. But if it is so loud in your life that it's distracting you from following after Jesus, it can have the same impact on your spiritual life that a sin does, right? Yeah. And so uh, I love that list that you're coming up with there, because I think I think you nailed it. That, that Those are most of the things that I think we are struggling with. So when you share this message with men, how are they reacting? Are they looking at you wide-eyed going, what are you telling me to do right now? Uh, are they uh, relieved? Are they finding it helpful? What are some of the reactions? Men are not, yeah, this is not an easy message for men. This is not easy for men to accept because um, it feels squishy. Mm. I think men have a hard time with the concept that the best leaders really are the most emotionally healthy leaders. I think men are still prone to believe the lie that, no, the best leaders are the most skilled leaders. But all of Daniel Goleman's research around emotional intelligence has really, um, I feel like it's cut the legs out from under that pretty pretty um, clearly that great leadership is not about the ability to communicate. It's not about the ability to put together a strategic plan. It's not about the ability to build a pivot table in Microsoft Excel. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> and those skills are terrific. Yes. Great leadership really does come from um, a place deep within us that's trending toward emotional health. Mm. So, yeah, most men have a harder time with that because emotions don't come easy to us men. Most men would say, I have two emotions. I'm either happy or hungry, you know, one of the two. (laughs) (laughs) But that part of the challenge here is trying to widen our emotional vocabulary uh, because we are emotional beings. God created us as that, and they don't have to be. Uh, it, it doesn't mean we're a candidate for Dr. Phil's show just because we're willing to look inside at what those emotions are. But we, here's what I will do like to talk to men about, though, is every one of us, if, if I were to go around and just do like a simple exercise and say, hey, give me the greatest compliment you've ever received. Who do you think the number one position in our life is that people normally say when they say, oh, well, this is the greatest compliment I ever received? Usually they say it was from my dad. Yeah. And we all have fathers that we look at and either 
admire how they cared for themselves emotionally or wish that they had cared for themselves more emotionally. I was at lunch with a guy yesterday who said, you know, my, I said, you know, he's telling me about his parents' marriage and he said, oh yeah, they're building a house right now, literally with two master suites, mm. one for each of them. Yeah. And I mean, that's heartbreaking to hear that. And I said, when did, when did that start in your mind? Where did you start seeing that? And he said, oh, well, my dad was never really emotionally available and then it probably all started – it was much more clear when he was in his uh, late 40s, early 50s and he got really into triathlons. And he just started to pour all of his energy into that. And you could just see he and my mom's relationship start to distance to the, distance to the point now where they're building two master suites. So, you know, a guy like that, if I were to ask him, hey, this might be hard for you to pay attention to what's inside of you that you're running from or avoiding or failing to deal with. But – how much do you wish your dad would have paid attention to that stuff yeah. that was inside of him? Um, I think that, I think it, the view is a little clearer when we look at it in other people. It's just harder to do that on our own. Yeah, that's really good. And I, you know, I love what you're saying there about uh, the emotional vocabulary because um, I, I think I've been one of those guys in my own life that if I compare myself to the average man, I uh, people would say I'm more emotional. Right, which which when men say that can feel like an insult, and I think the older I'm getting, I realize no, I just think uh, maybe I've got the vocabulary. I, I think all men feel emotions every day, every day we all feel it, right? Because what you're saying, we're humans, right? It's the way the, the way God made us. Some are better at articulating them than others, and so because a, a man might be able to articulate his emotions doesn't mean he's quote emotional because he knows how to talk about them. You're emotional because you're a human, and uh, sometimes just that vocabulary can be really helpful. Which I, you know, one of the best parts of your book was um, in the middle there. You just gave men or you gave the readers just the list of words to describe your emotions, which can be so helpful because it's not just a blank page. It's it's like a, they call it a feelings wheel. That now that feels a little weird to go print out a feelings wheel. You can't carry that to the office without uh, feeling a little insecure, but. You had it in a table, and it was just all these all these words that were so helpful with all that, just growing in your ability to articulate those. So, uh, Clay, you talk about your journey of hitting an emotional wall. You, sh- you share a really great story in there of a conversation you had with your boss and how you showed emotions. So uh, talk about what were some of those first few days like for you as you really started to take that journey inward? What, what were some things going through your head? Yeah, the the sixty second version. I hope that I can tell this in 60, 60 seconds. The version of that story is yeah. I, uh, my 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 boss managed. We, we're kind of a franchise organization, so we have seven churches in Atlanta. I lead one of our churches, and so my boss is a guy that works for Andy Stanley, who manages all the campus pastors. And so um, I was in. I was feeling a lot that I was not paying attention to, and I was in a conversation with him where we were in a pretty heated argument over how we were measuring data. How were we measuring what was going on? That should not be an emotional conversation because data is not necessarily emotional. Data in itself is black and white. It's, it's uh, you know, data doesn't have feelings. But this was a highly, it was a very emotionally charged conversation. And in the middle of it, I just lost it. Uh, not in anger, but in shame and the uh, feeling of failure, um, but even worse, feeling the perception of failure. And I just started crying, which there is no crying in baseball, Adam. You know that. So I had never to that point, I had never really cried 
in a conversation at work. I mean, you know, and when I see something good that happens, I mean, a baptism or a story of life change or something powerful, I've cried at that, but I've never just lost it. And this is the worst part is that my boss is a pastor and I'm a pastor. So we both have been on the other side of this, our whole career, you know, where you do all the tricks, you know, you go like, do I tell a joke and try to make the person laugh? Do I give them some space and leave some silence? Do I lean in, you know? So he leans in toward the end of it. Cause I just was like, Hey, I I can't talk. I, I don't even, every time I try to start talking, I'm just overwhelmed with emotion that I hadn't been dealing with. And I said, um, I said, I need to go. And he said, well, do you mind if I pray for you? And I looked at my boss, who is a pastor, and I said, no, uh, I w- do not want you to pray for me. I need to go. That was rock bottom for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So the next couple of days, you know, yeah, it was, you know, it wasn't the next couple of days. It was really the next couple of months. It was a journey of exploration of going, okay, I got to figure out why am I feeling what I'm feeling and where is it coming from? And then what do I need to do with the feeling? Because this is what, you know, too many men blow up their life because they get led by their, our feelings don't need to drive. And then too many men abdicate all their responsibility of being emotionally healthy by just throwing their emotions out of the car. I don't, I don't, I don't need to let it drive and I don't need to uh, keep it at a real significant distance. Uh, I need to let it sit in the front seat and then I need to deal with it. And I need to determine, okay, what would God want me to do with this feeling of, of, what felt like failure or the perception of failure or with shame or with um, the insignificance that I feel or the inadequacy that I feel. Uh, We have a loving father who says, hey, I want to walk in all of that with you. I want to help you deal with all that. You don't have to do it alone. Um, In fact, it wouldn't even be that healthy to try to deal with it alone. But inviting him into the process was probably the most rich part of it for me was um, experiencing what it's like to try to see it from his perspective uh, and then to try to figure out what to do with it. Yeah. I love that story. It's so helpful. And I think, uh, you know, anybody that reads that and especially men reading that will really identify. And I think you give some, some really helpful then practical ways to become what you call an emotional detective. And again, I, I think that's a great word, maybe for men, because we all wanted to be Sherlock Holmes or, uh, or somebody like right. that. So you're using yeah. the word detective, which kind of sounds cool, but uh, what have been some practices for you that have helped you the most as you continue to try to be an emotional detective? Well, none of these are urgent. They're all part of a healthy lifestyle. I mean, ultimately, they're spiritual disciplines. Yeah. The more I started digging into spiritual disciplines, the more I started realizing, oh, that's why God gave us these personal disciplines, because they keep us they keep us in a healthy rhythm. Uh, emotions are not something that do well when you let them stack up and then go deal with them as a batch. They're better dealt with on a consistent, regular basis. And so, you know, things like getting quiet. Uh, I hate silence. I hate solitude. But having a guided time every morning where I'm doing some excavation. Some mornings is that way. And then some mornings it's just, yeah, you know, everything actually is fine. Like that's not just the word I'm using. Like it actually is. Um, uh, pressing pause on things. I mean, that's really what the Sabbath is. That's what, um, that's what fasting from stuff really is. Um, you know, in the first month of the year, my, um, my wife and I did a dry January, so we didn't drink during the month of January, which we've done that for a number of years. It's a great reset after the holidays, you know, February, she, my wife is so good at doing this. So she does this almost every month where she presses pause on something, so she's, you know, February 1st, she's like, hey, I'm not going to eat desserts this month, you in? 
And normally I'm like, mm, no, deuces, I'm out. You know, but <laughs> I'm in on it. Um, you know, she'll do a month of no social media. Uh, I was in on that one. You know, just no TV for a month. No, um, n- no spontaneous impulsive purchases this month. That's really difficult for me. Yeah. Because a lot of times I'll go to, you know, even online shopping or I'll just go to Costco to unwind and just buy, you know, the the comfy just because. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that clearly is the most suburban dad thing you've ever said is I'll go to Costco to unwind. <laughs> it's my utopia. So, I, you know, I think the, the point is there might not be anything behind that. But if you don't turn it down, you can't tune in. Mm. If you don't turn down that noise, and you don't know what's behind it. And so learning to uh, press pause on those those things. So I was getting quiet, pressing pause, ta- speaking to yourself, you know, paying attention to the language you use with yourself. Uh, I love the concept that comparing ourselves to other people is not very healthy, but really comparing ourselves to where we were is a much better concept and learning to care for yourself well, learning to challenge yourself, learning to uh, you know, it's why we sing worship songs. It's why we recite creeds. It's why we memorize scripture because it's a form of self-talk. Those are the words that we end up telling ourselves about who we are and about what our purpose is. Um, those are just a few of the rhythms that are really rooted in spiritual disciplines. Yeah. The, the, uh, the idea of simplicity that you had in there as well. And so, uh, talk about that one. Cause I think, you know, the, the speaking to yourself, getting quiet, pressing pause, a lot of those are, are clear. The simplicity piece, though, I found to be the most challenging to think about how to implement that. So talk about that idea real quick, and then how have you tried to simplify your life so that you can tune into what's going on on the inside? Well, life doesn't move towards simplicity. Life moves toward chaos. So knowing that, I think, is really important, that that's just the natural gravitational pull to life. If you have a house that's 2,000 square feet in a couple of years, you will fill it up. There will be stuff everywhere. Um, But the same is true of your schedule. If you have, you know, however many waking hours during the week, a hundred awake hours, you will fill up that time if you're not careful and life just becomes more complex and chaotic. And so knowing that is really, really important. But why simplicity really matters is because the best kind of life, the best kind of leaders really are led by their why. It's the spine that should run through the thread that should run through everything we do. And so just keeping keeping our, our own personal mission in front of us. Why am I alive today? What's the purpose that God has for me today? Uh, and then does what I'm doing today align with that or does it not? It is the way we, it's the way we stay on mission. It's the way we live life on purpose, but it's also the way that we keep things simple. Uh, it's the way we know how to um, categorically say no to things. So, you know, and, and it changes over life, over time. Uh, you and I are in a similar stage of life, you know, where utopia is Costco. Uh, we <laughs> have kids that are involved with stuff and, you know, it's the busiest, this is, you know, studies have shown that this stage we're in and are entering into is the busiest stage of life because it's where communication picks up, activity picks up. And so there's some things that I can't do right now, or just not that I can't do things that I've chosen not to do, uh, because I just want to keep my life on mission in this season. And that demands really seeking simplicity. So I, you know, I travel, spending multiple nights away from our family, my family, because I'm speaking at something or engaged in some other activity is just something I 
won't do. So I've pretty much said, hey, if I can't go there and back in a day, spend one night away from the family, this I'm not going to do it. So that kind of simplicity has helped me get on top of my calendar as opposed to my calendar feeling like it's on top of me. And it helps me turn down all that noise to pay attention to what's really going on inside of me. And I don't really like it because what's going on inside of me is I feel like I'm getting left behind. I feel like people are getting ahead of me. feels like people are uh, building careers and I'm not, you know, or what, whatever those feelings would be that those are the things I should pay attention to because then you start asking the question, well, why, why do you feel that way? What, what, what made you think that the more you traveled and spoke at places that the more important your life is? Or at what point did you get into this for the biggest stage possible? Um, those are really, those are the soul questions that keep me in the, if I'm willing to answer them, keep me in the healthiest position as a, as a dad and as a husband and ultimately as a leader uh, in my profession. So I think that's the kind of the summary of the simplicity. No, concept. I love it. And, I, and, and then that's why it goes next into the, the speaking to yourself, because if you do feel like you're being left behind, now you've got to have the truth to be able to combat all of those thoughts that are going in in your mind. And so it, it all fits together so perfectly there. So Clay, I'll just ask you one last question and then let you get back to your day. But you know, one of the reasons you talked about like what's at stake, you talked about this ability to empathize and connect with people. And so uh, how have you seen this journey uh, toward you know tuning things down so that you can tune into the inside? What have been some of the benefits that you've seen in some of your key relationships? How have you found the joy in really being able to connect with others along this journey? Because this isn't a solo project. And, and just to make that clear, you know, this isn't stuff that I know that you're not just doing this all on your own. Uh, this is stuff that's happening with others. So how have you seen the Lord really uh, help you now connect better with other people? If you choose to put rhythms in place where you are trending toward emotional health, it does have implications on everyone around you. When the leader gets better, everybody gets better. So it helps the, it does help your family. It helps your marriage. It helps the people around you at work. Yeah, I guess just the instinctual answer is about vulnerability, the power of being open and honest, that it's what people are craving. It's what people want. So I think that's probably the uh, it's easier to see in other people than it is in yourself. It's hard to say, oh, here's three amazing times where I led well and people were applauding me. And, yeah. you know, th- those are harder to find because we're all, you know, usually our own greatest critic. But I can certainly see it in other people um, when I have experienced vulnerability from them, you know, when they've been willing to lead with their weakness or be open and honest about their weakness or about what's not going well. It just invites a deeper sense of relationship. You feel trusted by the person person. You feel like you can trust the person. I think that, you know, we've all read books on it and read articles and listened to podcasts and sermons about how much this generation is craving authenticity. But um, I think doing the work inside to pay attention to what's really going on and what we're too often distracting ourselves from is one of the most attractive things we can do because everybody around me wants to know that I'm digging into the stuff that they're hoping I'm digging into. And it doesn't mean I have all the answers. It doesn't mean I haven't figured out. And it doesn't mean I'm going to fix it and then be able to move on because it's probably the thing that's going to plague me the rest of my life. But opening up the lines of communication, opening up the feedback loops, giving people the opportunity to speak into it, and also just being willing to show people that I, I, I know and I am taking it before God and before 
professionals to help me with it. Um, I think it's just it's uh, it's in a attractive thing for other people. And I think it's what we all hope for the people that we work for as well. Yeah. Clay, great having you on here today. Thanks, Adam. I love Clay's message. The world is loud. There are distractions everywhere. And one of the key skills that you and I need to become productive and healthy men in today's day and age is learning how to turn down the noise so we can tune into what is going on in our hearts to do that hard work of the heart. And so Clay, thank you so much for jumping in with us today. If you guys would like to connect with Clay, you can head on over to claysproggins.com. If you'd like to learn more about how to bring the Better Man 11-week experience to your church or your community, please visit betterman.com. Today's episode was mixed and edited by the team over at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.